0: Welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John. It's just going to be me solo this week. Fate's feeling a little bit under the weather and she's hoping to be better by Christmas Day. So it's just going to be me on the show this week. But it's no big deal because we got a pretty damn good show planned for you guys. And we like to start the show off like we do every single week. With the news, and some news came in right after I finished filming last week, and that was Criterion and Arrow announcing their March releases, but it really wasn't announced with too much fanfare, it feels like a low for them for those months, and it's understandable, at the beginning of the year, we kind of get those low points, we get some releases here and there that are pretty big, but... They always like to save their bigger releases for the summer and for the end of the year going into the holidays, you know, to sell as much as possible. That's why December, we got spoiled like hell. And it was pretty rough on the wallets. but we get a nice little hangover season with January where there isn't too much coming out. And February and March are looking a little bit slow. Some good stuff in there sprinkled in, which I'm looking forward to. And what Criterion announced with March was all that money can buy. And it's also known as The Devil of Daniel Webster. And reading the synopsis for this movie, I've actually never seen it. It's a 1941 film. Apparently a man sells his soul to the devil for seven years of good fortune, but he immediately regrets that. And he tries to get his soul back. So that's a pretty big one. The biggest one coming out from the Criterion Collection in March is To Die For. 1995's Gus Van Zandt film starring Nicole Kidman and featuring Joaquin Phoenix. And from what I was able to find out, this is actually going to be the first film that Joaquin Phoenix has bid in that's in the Criterion Collection. I'll have to do some more research to see if that's actually true. But that's pretty damn interesting if that is true. And To Die For is actually a very good 1990s film. And uh, you know, Gus Van Zandt was kind of all over the 1990s. He's probably most known for Goodwill Hunting, but he also made My Own Private Idaho in the 1990s. And he also was the director of the remake of Psycho. I don't know what he was thinking, but he did direct that one as well. And they also announced the Iranian film The Runner. The documentary, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, and they also announced St. Omer. So I'll definitely be getting To Die For that month, and I might also get All That Money Can Buy, because that does sound pretty interesting. And for our video, they announced the last John Wayne film, The Shootest, and that's actually going to be coming to Blu-ray. It's a brand new 2K restoration. They announced On 4K, the J-horror film from 2002, Dark Water, from the same director of Ringu. City of the Living Dead, which I'm pretty interested in, but the cover art on that is absolutely awful. I'm not too sure what they were going for, but... Oh, I'm not loving the cover art on that, and if the artist is watching this, I'm sorry. Um, just not a big fan of it. It's I get what they were going for, and it kind of is in line with what Arrow Video has done in the past, but it just doesn't pop out of me. I'm not a big fan of the green and yellow combination, but either way, City of the Living Dead is coming to 4K Blu-ray, so that's pretty damn cool. So we get that and Dark Water on 4K, and then... The Shootist will just be on regular Blu-ray. So I just feel like it was a little bit of a down month for what they were announcing. The Shootist is pretty cool to die for. is pretty cool coming to 4K. Nothing that really blew me away from both Arrow and the Criterion Collection for March. I'll get a couple of those titles and review here on the channel. But nothing really just stood out to me as being really big. And they also announced Arrow Video, which is pretty cool, that in February, these were some surprise announcements, that they are going to be releasing a more stripped-down version of This Psycho 4K Blu-ray box set that I actually have, so you won't get it in this exact packaging, which I think is one of the best packages of 2023, and it also won't include the first Psycho film, because the first Psycho film wasn't actually done by Arrow Video, they did 2, 3, and 4, so they're only going to be releasing this box set with 2, 3, and 4 on 4K, the first one was not done by them, that was a universal release, they actually were able to package it in on this on this original 4k blu-ray box set but it doesn't look like they have the rights anymore so you'll only be able to get two three and four in this more stripped down box set and they're doing the same thing with the four hellraiser films now these actually came out in the same month which is pretty damn cool because they both had some of the best packaging of 2023 but again We're getting a more stripped-down version, a little bit more cheaper, so if you couldn't afford it the first time around or you just missed out on it because they had limited copies, now's your chance to finally get them. And they're also going to be releasing Hellraiser on 4K Blu-ray all on its own, so you can just buy that if you're like me who only really likes Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, and then 3's okay. The reason why I didn't pick up that original 4-film set is because I just don't really like 4. I don't hate the sequels, but I also don't really like them. I just think 1 and 2 just stand out or just way above the rest of them. I just think, you know, they're really connected. They really work great together. They really complement each other. They're just great two films. And the series just goes in a different direction. But if you love them and you like 3 and 4, you're going to be able to get these four films again now on 4K Blu-ray. Just remember, these are UK-only releases. So when I bought that Psycho 4K box set a few months ago, I bought it through Diabolic DVD. They do imports if you live here in the U.S., I assume no matter where you live, they do imports as well, and they really don't overcharge too much, and you know, obviously got to pay some taxes, but for import fees, if you have to import them, it's really not that bad, they do some of the best work, and the people who run that, they just, they're very interactive, even on Twitter and X, they seem like a very mom and pop type of business, and those are the best businesses to deal with, because they are humans just like us, unlike like big corporations like Best Buy and everything, where we're just one in a crowd, you know. Diabolic DVD definitely does make you feel inclusive, and I got to thank my channel director Frank Rodriguez for putting me onto them because I've already bought a ton from them. I'm still waiting to get Pearl on 4K Blu-ray because they sold out of the Turbine 4K, and Pearl is one of my favorite films of last year. And they haven't gotten them back in yet, but my fingers are crossed that those are coming pretty damn soon. Kino Lorber announced that they are going to be releasing Gunfight at the OK Corral starring Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas at their younger ages, and both of them do a great job in this movie. If you're a fan of this film, that is going to be coming into 4K. They also announced that they're going to be releasing The Last Castle on 4K Blu-ray, which I actually have seen. It's a pretty good movie. I saw some people are really excited about that coming to 4K. Also, Leviathan is going to be coming to 4K Blu-ray, which is one that I actually haven't seen, and I saw a lot of people on my channel who were excited about this, like on their regular Facebooks, X, Twitter, Instagram. So, I know that that's one that I have to grab and check out. That's one that just slipped by me, never saw it. And that was really all the announcements we got this week as far as physical media goes. Nothing like last week, nothing that really blew me away, but... If you're a fan of any of these films that are going to be coming to Blu-ray and 4K Blu-ray on physical media, I'm really happy for you guys. I'm going to be definitely grabbing a couple of these to review here on the channel. I might dip in and get that Hellraiser 4 film set. Even though I'm not a big fan of 3 and 4, I haven't revisited them in a while, and, you know, they're coming to 4K, and this might be the last chance you can get them together in that, like, quad trilogy, whatever the hell they were calling it. I cannot remember, and I'll never be able to get it correct, so I don't want to insult them. I'm really happy that they are going to be re-releasing that, because I know people were disappointed, including myself, that they sold out pretty fast the first time around if you didn't pre-order it at the pre-order price and you kind of had to like can I afford this at the moment and then they were just gone and they made the decision for you and now you'll actually get a second chance at that so that's pretty damn cool and the psycho 4k's I reviewed those here on the channel I really thought that those were all phenomenal 4k's the first one came out years ago on 4k so that's the same exact scan but 2, 3, and 4 are really really nice 4k transfers 3 and 4 really impressed me 4 even though for a TV movie it looked gorgeous on 4k blu-ray and it's definitely worth your time so if you want to grab those I could definitely highly recommend it just remember that psycho the first one is not going to be packed in there on this time around And then as far as like a little bit of news goes that's not really related to physical media but will affect the film industry is there was a rumor going around this week that Warner Brothers sat down with Paramount this week and apparently in New York City and they talked about a merger, which I really hope that this does not happen. I feel like Warner Brothers, over the last about year, maybe year and a half, when they became Warner Brothers Discovery, and David Zasloff was at the head of Warner Brothers Discovery. And all he seems to care about at this point is money. He doesn't care about the art. We've seen him cast aside Batgirl. Acme versus the Roadrunner, like, all that stuff has been just cast aside, written off for tax purposes, which, again, I do not understand how you can spend all that money to make something and then just buy, you know what, hey, we're just gonna pretend it doesn't exist and then they basically are able to write down a tax write-off for it, which, you know, the way tax write-offs work is it just counts against their profit in the sense that they their income compared to what they actually spent it'll take a write off so that they'll end up having to pay less taxes and probably get millions of dollars back from the United States government. So essentially we spent money for them to make this movie and never release it to us, which is it's pretty damn crazy in my opinion and that just seems to be Warner Brothers uh prerogative over the last like few months, especially over the last like year in the sense that they just really do not care about the consumer and the people who work for them. I've heard that a lot of artists don't really want to go work for Warner Brothers Discovery anymore. And if they end up actually merging with Power Paramount that'll be terrible for the film business there is not that many major studios left like Sony owns so many small studios that you probably don't even realize like when I was growing up how many people remember that TriStar logo or the Columbia Pictures logo. Both of those companies at this point are Sony companies. You can see it at the bottom of the logo if you're ever watching a film that comes out more recently. It'll say TriStar Pictures, a Sony company. So they own all those smaller companies. And hey, if you're a fan of Blumhouse, you know who owns them? Universal, another major company. So all we really have left as far as major studios go is Disney universal paramount warner brothers and i guess apple would count as another one that's a pretty big one apple doesn't own a lot of small studios but like universal sony disney they own so many different types of smaller companies and a few years ago i was one of those people that was really excited when disney was merging with fox mainly because you know selfishly i wanted to see the x-men in the mcu i was younger i I don't remember what year that was was it like 2018 i wasn't coming into it from like a business standpoint i was coming to it as a film fan standpoint and i didn't realize how many people were going to lose their jobs and how this was going to have a long-term effect on the film industry in general. It was just very, you know, I was excited. I wanted to see the I wanted to see the X-Men in the MCU. And now all these years later we're finally going to be getting to that point and I have to ask myself, was it worth it to lose another major studio like 20th Century Fox? And in my opinion, I don't think it was. I feel like with all these studios merging and being bought out, it's a bad side not just for Hollywood, but it's just a bad side for the world as far as the economics go. We know people are struggling right now, but if we just end up with like four or five major corporations running this entire planet or three or four major studios just running Hollywood and they're the only ones putting out films... And they're controlling everybody underneath them. You know, that's how monopolies are created. So I'm really hoping that the federal government steps in and doesn't allow a merger to happen between these two corporations because it's just going to be very bad for the film industry. It's going to be very bad for the people working in the film industry because now you have one less studio to turn to for work. And if you just have these big, rich CEOs in charge like David Zasloff who really don't give a shit about the artists and they only really care about what the bottom line is for the shareholders. And the shareholders, you know, I understand that they have to protect their investment, but they also don't really Understand how it works They just want to make sure That they get their investment back When you invest in something like that You are investing in artists And I really feel like You should have an understanding Of the art that you're investing in And just for me Anytime you just make a film And you just get rid of it And pretend it doesn't exist Or you take down stuff Off of streaming services So you don't have to pay anybody Residuals For me that stuff Is just grimy and dirty And it just tells me Everything I need to know About that company And I'm just really hoping That eventually A lot of these corporations And companies Come to their center ...and realize, you know what, this isn't the right way to do things. We have to learn how to treat people better, treat people like human beings... ...and just and not just a number on a spreadsheet, because for me, I feel like that's kind of how this entire world is heading... ...is that everybody's just a number on a spreadsheet to all these big corporations and just rich people. We're just getting more and more divided, and you know, this is a movie channel, physical media channel... And if we as physical media fans, if we have less companies putting out physical media, you know that's going to be disappointing for us as well. Luckily, we seem to be shifting to the point where boutique labels are definitely putting out more than the regular studio labels. And the studios seem to be actually leasing out their rights a little bit more. Like JFK came out this past week. That is a Warner Brothers property. And for Shout Select to actually put out that, I really thought it was pretty damn cool. I don't know what the deal is, but hey, if we can get more of that and let them do the restorations, because they do a much better restoration job than, say, you know, the regular in-house studios. Now, Paramount also did the Warriors on 4K Blu-ray, and they leased out those rights to Arrow Video to actually do the scan and put it out, even though it's a Paramount property, a pretty big one for them. I don't know what that deal was like as well, but I'm really glad that they allowed a studio like Arrow Video to put that out. Not that Paramount does bad 4K transfers, because when they want to, they do some of the best, but Arrow Video, for the most part, is going to give it a lot more love. They were fans of those films, whereas as a studio you know they give them deadlines maybe the people who work there aren't fans of those films it's just like hey this is your job to do this restoration and they just don't have the heart into it as like a you know a boutique label does criterion you know works with a lot of big time directors like Martin Scorsese and Wes Anderson who want to put their films out through them and you know it just feels like that's a little bit more of a personal thing. It's like kind of the equivalent of a mom and pop business where, you know, you kinda of get more of responses from them than you will from like Disney or Warner Brothers, where they have so many people working under them, so many people and consumers just buying their product. And it's hard. And I understand that, but from a consumer standpoint, from a customer standpoint, it's just very disappointing to hear these things, and I just really hope that this Warner Brothers. Paramount merger does not happen. I just think for the film industry, for the physical media industry, and just the entire planet, I don't think that's a good thing. I think that, personally, my opinion, that is 100% a negative. Yes, I saw people getting excited that, hey, you know what's going to happen? We'll have Tom Cruise from Paramount being able to appear in a Looney Tunes con- cartoon. Like, oh, that's cool and stuff, and I like that we get to combine, you know, batman with paramount's transformers like that's cool that they'll be under the same banner but we really don't want that we want to have these properties separated just so that there's more hands in the kitchen you know if we have less it's worse for us and it's worse for the people who work for these companies so that's just my opinion but i'm very curious what did you guys think about this merger talks going on now it was just preliminary talks but I just really hope that, that that's it. I hope that's it. I hope they don't go further than that. But I would love to hear what you guys think of this. Leave your comments about the possibility of a Warner Bros. Paramount merger in the comment section below. Because I'm very curious about what do you guys think of this. Alright, and now we have a lot of questions this week. So I'm just going to get right into the Q&A portion of the show. And the first question I didn't answer from last week is from our channel director, Kevin Kruger. And he asks, what's your favorite and least favorite movie from the following actors? Jennifer Aniston. My favorite film from Jennifer Aniston is Office Space. I really think that she brought a lot of heart to that movie. She really showed that she's actually a very good actor. I never really thought that Jennifer Aniston was the best actor I'd ever seen. I always think that she's very serviceable. She has a good working relationship with Adam Sandler. And her worst film was probably Leprechaun. I like the Leprechaun movie. But, you know, that's her first film. So she's getting her footing under her. And I just don't think she had the chops yet. Once she got to Friends, you know, we got to see it a little bit more. I I just never have been blown away by Jennifer Aniston's acting. She's great, though. I love Jennifer Aniston. She's an amazing person. But, you know, her acting performances never blew me away even though me and fate's first date was to a Jennifer Aniston Adam Sandler movie just go with it which I actually really enjoyed hit or miss on Adam Sandler movies now modern day Adam Sandler but I used to just love the guy and everything he put out it was my kind of comedy next up is Drew Barrymore I'm gonna have to pick E.T. Um, E.T. is one of my favorite movies ever yes she's a child actor in that movie but she's still great she really does carry her own weight in that film and then her worst film is probably Batman Forever because she's in a blink and you miss it kind of performance she She's just playing one of two faces. Uh, I guess that would be his mistress? I don't know what you would label her. Is she a secretary to him? Either way, she works, I believe, on the good side of the house, whereas the other lady is working on the dark side of the house. So that's probably Drew Barrymore's least best film. Christian Bale. Ah, this is tough. His best film is 100% American Psycho. And this guy was Batman, but he was born to play Paul Bateman in American Psycho. He was fantastic in that movie. I think their undisputed masterpiece is be Square song so catchy most people probably don't listen to the lyrics my least favorite christian bale movie you know he's never really been bad i guess i'll say terminator salvation just because it kind of felt like that movie in general didn't 100 work and you also that's kind of when we found out he could be a little bit of an asshole on set that whole like flipping out on the uh, was it a light guy or a sound guy i i was just a little upset to hear that now i understand that you know these things happen people get in fights i mean i've been at work and i've gotten in fights with people too just happens at the job and they're professional so of course you're going to find out about this stuff it's the hollywood industry But, you know, I just felt like, yeah, he still is the best John Connor, Christian Bale. But that movie's not 100% great and as a huge Terminator fan. A little bit of a letdown. But Christian Bale, usually, for the most part, no matter what, even if it's a bad movie, he's always acceptable and always good. You know, he kind of got wasted in Thor Love and Thunder, but he's always great. Johnny Depp, well, his worst is easily Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. What the hell he was doing with that movie, Ollie will never know. It's clearly a Michael Jackson impression with, like, uh, all your drugs mixed in. I don't know. But his best performance for me is as Ed Wood. In the film, Ed Wood. I thought he was fantastic in the movie. That's the kind of Johnny Depp energy I love. Yes, it's that over-the-top, kind of almost the voice is almost similar to Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. But Ed Wood is one of those filmmakers, he's considered the worst filmmaker ever, but he had such passion for the film industry that it's hard not to like the guy, and that's what that movie's trying to show you, that like, hey, yeah, he might have made some bad movies, but he loved making movies, and he really cared about the film industry, and he was a artur in his own way. Clint Eastwood. Now, Clint Eastwood has made some of my favorite films, he's also made some films that I don't necessarily like, or I don't think they stand up, but his best performance is his William Money in Unforgiven, which he also directed, and was the 1992 Best Picture winner. And it's my favorite Western of all time. Clint Eastwood plays this old, broken-down, but he has to get back on that horse, western type of guy. You know, this guy who was a killer and just a bad person back in the day until his wife came along, and she cured him of his wicked ways, as he says. But he's got to do it one more time, and the end of that movie is perfect. One of the best ways to end a film is the end of Unforgiven. Now, my least favorite Clint Eastwood movie, it's probably one of the Dirty Harry sequels by, like, the fourth one. What is it, uh, Deadpool, where, actually, Jim Carrey's in that movie, where it kind of just feels like those movies are starting to get phoned in even as much as i love the dirty harry character it just kind of feels like uh by the end of that we're kind of and i've also never been a fan of any which way but loose the two uh, movies where he's with a monkey so i guess those are you know, i know people who love those movies but they never connected with me they kind of weren't part of my childhood i think if they were i would have liked them a little what a little bit more jack black oh man picking a favorite jack black movie is tough because he always brings a certain energy to movies And he's always just so much fun and no matter what he's in. But I I have to still go with School of Rock. That's really combining the acting personality and that, you know, love of rock and roll. Because he is in a band, Tenacious D, Jack Black. And I like Tenacious D. Don't love Tenacious D. But I like Tenacious D. But School of Rock, a Richard Linklater movie. He was perfect in that film. Perfectly cast. And then my least favorite Jack Black movie. You know, he's kind of been... uh, What was that movie he did with Ben Stiller from a few years ago? Uh, I can't remember what the hell that was called. Oh, Envy, that's what it was called. That movie just came and went. I remember seeing it in the theaters, and I liked it, but I was like, I don't really ever want to see it again, and I felt like him and Ben Stiller, uh, they tried, but it just didn't work. Will Ferrell, my favorite Will Ferrell movie is easily Anchorman. And If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Even though I love so many Will Ferrell movies, but Anchorman is a modern-day classic comedy film although it's almost 20 years old now so I guess it's not modern day anymore I guess that would be considered just a regular old-fashioned comedy classic at this point but my least favorite you know I I, I'm not a big fan of A Night at the Roxbury I'm also not a really big fan of the first Daddy's Home movie I guess I built up the anticipation because I just absolutely love the other guys and I was like oh man we're getting Mark we're getting Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg back together we're getting the old band back together I was thrilled and it let me down and then they made Daddy's Home 2 and I like Daddy's Home too, so it's really strange they kind of missed with the first Daddy's Home. Maybe because Daddy's Home Two is a you know a Christmas comedy, and you know you kind of get a little bit of a pass with that. Vince Vaughn, his worst film is Psycho. Uh, it's not his fault, but when you do a shot-for-shot shot, remake of a film, it's just not gonna work. And then his best film is Wedding Crashers. He was perfectly cast that movie. I want my painting back. The painting was a gift, Todd. I'm taking it with me. This is you know right around the time when Vince Vaughn was. One of the people working in comedy all the time. You know, you had him, you had Owen Wilson, Will Ferrell. They all kind of overlap with each other in a bunch of movies. Ben Stiller. For me, Wedding Crashes is his best film. Old school, coming up right on its tails. Really like that movie. And around Christmas time, For Christmas is a pretty good choice as well. Owen Wilson. Well, Owen Wilson, I think his best film actually might be Bottle Rocket. The first ever Wes Anderson film. I just feel like he poured his heart into that movie. And he's a great lead character in that. You don't give a $500 tip to the housekeeper! that's inappropriate that's inexcusable owen wilson's least best film um you me and dupree hated that movie actually tom hanks wow tom hanks is my favorite actor of all time so to pick a favorite film from him is very hard but i'm probably gonna go with phil i'm gonna go with philadelphia i absolutely love the movie philadelphia i watch it every single year it makes me cry Every single year. I think it's a very powerful film. I think he deserved to win his first best acting award. And then he definitely deserved to win his second the following year. Back to back. The only two he's ever won. But I think Philadelphia is one of those special kind of performances. And I just absolutely love that movie my least favorite Tom Hanks performance, again, like, he's one of those actors, I just love him in anything, but he has put out some, like, generic movies throughout his career, and I think that the Coen Brothers' least best movie is The Lady Killers, in my opinion, and he's still good in it, but if I have to pick a least favorite Tom Hanks, well, like I said, if Tom Hanks is in a movie, it's at least good just because I'm enjoying watching Tom Hanks, so it elevates it to a point where it's not even a bad movie, like, The Lady Killers, in my opinion, it's not a bad movie, it's just my least favorite Coen Brothers movie, and... I guess by coincidence, you know, Tom Hanks is in that movie as well. And I don't think he's giving his greatest performance. He's trying, but I just don't think he's giving his greatest performance. And then Chevy Chase. Well, Chevy Chase actually has some pretty bad movies. My favorite's Christmas Vacation, 100%. I've talked about how that's not just a great Christmas film. That's just a great... Great comedy film. Um, Chevy Chase, though, as far as his acting goes in other movies. Uh, Funny Farm isn't a great one. I've only seen it once. I'll probably have to just go with that by default. People say that's kind of the one that like ruined his career in a way. i only seen it the one time. I don't remember liking it. It definitely didn't stick with me. It's nothing like Fletch where I saw Fletch the first time and I was like, Wow. This is my kind of comedy. It's nothing like that, which is unfortunate. So that was a great question, Kevin. Thank you so much, buddy. And the next Kevin Kruger question is, what movies hit you the hardest on a personal level? Um, actually, it's funny because last year I watched the movie. Uh, it's probably my favorite foreign film at this point, which was directed by Jakeem Trier. I hope I'm saying that right. But that movie, it, it hit me because, A, it's about aging and like what have you done with your life? And I just watched it right after I turned 30 years old. And, you know, a lot of people don't get swept up in the turning theory. Like, ah, you know, you just kind of you know you're just 30 now it's not a big deal but for me turning 30 was really really rough I'm not gonna lie to you guys I uh I had a hard time with it I kind of felt like I failed in life at that point or up to that point I didn't do what I imagined I would be doing by that point I mean everyone has these things happen to them where you imagine how your life is gonna turn out, and then it doesn't turn out that way and you start reflecting on like what decisions you made up to that point I think that the worst person in the world really captured that on film you know like how life just keeps moving on even no matter what those decisions you made where you can't turn the clock back, you kind of just got to roll with it, and it also has a pretty damn good love story in there, some fantastic sequences that really just stood out to me. So, The Worst Person in the World from the Criterion Collection really was a special, special kind of movie that I didn't expect to love as much as I did, and mainly because it hit me on just such a personal level, much like the film uh, Nine Days that came out in 2021, which was my favorite film of that year. And it stars Winston Duke as, he's basically a person who's going to be picking from a group of angels, and he's got to send one to Earth. He only has a choice of one of them that he can send. The rest, you know, I don't know where they go, but they're basically all going through the job interview process with him. And at the end of the week, he's going to pick one of them to go to Earth. Now, he's coming off one of the last people he picked to go to Earth, was very successful in the artistic community, but they end up actually... Killing themselves, and he feels like he made the wrong choice. So instead, now is he going to go the artistic route, or is he going to pick somebody who he thinks is going to be just overall a good human being, a safe human being, like the kind of person that's going to go to work every day, you know, work the regular old fashioned nine to five. You know a strong person because he feels like now he can't pick somebody who's more on the artistic side because you know they he feels like they're a little bit weaker mentally and I feel like that movie is really tackling such real-life subjects like that in such a unique way and it really hit me hard I love that movie nine days if you haven't seen that I know it's one that just kind of came and went but it had a great cast that, that features Zazzy beats in a fantastic role and just a great great ending and I mean it made me cry a bunch of times so those two movies uh, at least from a recent standpoint really 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 stuck with me as i've been coming of age and growing older you know those movies they hit me in a way i truly did not expect them to hit me so those are two movies that definitely i can recommend checking out because they definitely affected me personally. And the next one is from Darkwing Dave and he asks for someone who is starting a new job, what advice would you have? Can't get enough of your channel, so good yet beyond educational. Keep it up chief. Thanks buddy, i really do appreciate that Darkwing Dave. Well, actually um <laughs> i actually haven't started too many jobs in my lifetime because i got a job when i was 16. And I worked there until I was 22. And then when I was 22, I ended up leaving that job for the job I work at now, which I've been at for about 10 years now. So I've only really started a new job about three or four times in my entire life. And the best advice I could give is, you know, on the first few days there, you know, don't talk too much. Just kind of take in as much as you can. You're not going to learn a lot the first day. I always told people when I would train people at both of my jobs was, you know, if you learn one thing today, that's a good thing. That's all because they know you're trying to take in so much different information and it gets overwhelming. And even for like the first week, you're very overwhelmed. You might not be making friends. You're not really talking to people. And that's a good thing because anytime a new guy goes to a job and they act like they've worked there for 10 years, that pisses everybody else off who's been there for that long. They're like, who's this cocky guy coming in here acting like he knows everything? He doesn't know shit. Even if they do, it's just people kind of get offended. By that, so I always kind of feel like you know, you know, lean into it a little bit slowly, start making friends, and then eventually, you know, you kind of just blend in with everybody else. You know, try not to get nervous, I know that that's very hard to do, but. You know, when you start a new job, the more nervous you are, the more likely you are to make a mistake. You know, try and calm down the best you can. Don't overthink things. You know, people know you're new, so they're going to give you a lot of grace. Whereas in other situations, if you've been there for like a couple of months and you're making mistakes too, you know, they might say something. But you know what? A new guy, they're going to give you some grace. Everyone's going to be nice to you at first. You know, just try and let your personality seep out a little bit. Don't show them the whole you yet because you know what? They are going to get a little bit upset about that right away. They will feel like you're a little bit cocky coming in like that so i always just say you know what just you know keep quiet for like the first week take in as much information as you can process it, and then, you know, you'll learn as you go. I always felt like people, like, I was one of those people that always learned on the job, learn as you go. I never felt like reading manuals or, you know, really having to, like, read as much as you can is as helpful as when you just get on the job and you learn as you go. I always felt like that was always the best way to learn. Let the person make mistakes, and then eventually they'll just understand. Mistakes really help to lead to perfection, in my opinion, at least. And that's always how I have felt. I always felt like learning on the job is always better than actually studying for the job because you just really never know what can happen you can prepare all you want but at least in all of my experiences at jobs things get thrown in that you you know you just don't expect and you have to be able to learn on the fly adapt to it and believe me this happens a lot out in the workforce and i really appreciate that comment darkwing dave about liking the channel that really does mean the world to me that makes me feel like i'm really doing a good thing here with the channel and i just want to thank you so much ever any compliment i'm very bad at taking compliments or gifts or anything like that i i just have this like thing where i don't feel like i deserve it i you know i don't know what they call that like an imposter syndrome or something like like that, but it doesn't matter if it's like for you on the channel or just out in the real world. I just don't take compliments well. I mean, they mean the world to me and I really appreciate them so, so, so much. But I just always don't feel like I deserve it. So I really appreciate you saying that, darling. Thank Dave. Thank you so much, buddy. And the next one is from Mr. Smelly Potato 23. And he asks, Are there any movies you hated or disliked the first time you saw them, but loved them or appreciated them on a second or more viewing? So the one I always go to is actually Blade Runner. So Blade Runner was pitched to me as a sci-fi action film. That's what people said it was. They're like, oh, you got to check it out. Now, when I first got to Blade Runner, I was probably too young. You know, I was watching movies like Blade Runner when I was like 11 or 12. And I just thought that the movie was paced so slow. Uh, was not what I was expecting. And I was like pretty disappointed with it. And now Blade Runner is easily in my top 10 films of all time. When I finally revisited it as an adult and I understand its themes. And I understand that it's a neo-noir film. And I appreciate what neo-noirs are at that point. Appreciate Harrison Ford doing something different than Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I just appreciate the movie for what it is it turns out that that is one of the best movies ever made. Just know what you're going into. It's a straightforward sci-fi neo-noir film. So it's going to be slowly paced. It's going to have a lot of themes about humanity mixed in there. And when I first watched it, I just had no idea about that stuff. I was too too young. Some movies you're just too young to see, and Blade Runner was one of those movies. And I feel like if you tell people what Blade Runner really is, they'll appreciate it because my god, the production design in Blade Runner is still some of the best production design I have ever seen. And this is from the guy who made Alien, which I think also has one of the best production designs in film history. I mean, the set design is incredible. Costumes, all the attention, the detail that Ridley Scott puts into his film, we just see him still doing this to this day with Napoleon. Yeah, Napoleon might not work completely, but... The production design cannot be denied. He's always, always, always been good at that. And Blade Runner is one of those special films. It is still my favorite Ridley Scott film. I mean, I go back and forth with that and Alien, but because both of those movies are in my top ten, I love both of those movies so much. Uh, I mean, you know, I say that a lot, and I realize I probably say so many movies are in my top ten, I got to one day actually sit down and do a top 10 list. I feel like it's going to be like a top 40, but the amount of movies I've set them are my top 10, it's just, it's so hard. I used to think, how do people not be able to make top 10 lists when it comes to their favorite films? I realize now, you know, you watch a movie, you're like, wow, that's one of my favorites. And you're like, is it better than this film? Is it better than this? It's very, very hard. But Blade Runner is definitely that movie that I did not appreciate the first time. That I really ended up loving. That had the biggest rise. There have been other movies like Mean Girls. Um, I wrote Mean Girls off. That was one of my wife's favorite movies. and I watched it with her earlier this year. And I loved it. I thought that movie was absolutely hysterical. And I was like, what was I missing out on this one? You know, it came. that's another one that came out when I was um, in middle school. And I felt like it wasn't for me at the time. You know, we all go through that phase where it's like boy movies and girl movies. And you know what? You know, just a stupid kid thing. And then I ended up growing up and watching Mean Girls. And I'm like, wow. That's a fantastic film. That's another one I sold very short that I really shouldn't have. What a fantastic movie. So that was a great question, Mr. Smelly Potato. Thank you so much, buddy. And this one is from our channel director, Frank Rodriguez. And he actually has four questions, but we'll talk about this in a 2nd Here, Morning John and Faith. And he has two questions for me. Two questions for me and Faith. Now, Faith's not here on this week's show. And even though next week's show won't be a Christmas show, but we will, we'll make it Christmas-themed. We'll answer the questions for me and Faith next week, Frank. I really appreciate you sending those in. But I'm going to answer the two questions you asked me right now. And he asked, John, with January being light month for physical media, are you planning to pick up some out-of-print movies that you couldn't get when they originally released? This month I went crazy with out-of-print pickups. Had to go through the eBay route, but it was worth it for me. Um, so I was looking up what out-of-print movies I don't have. And the ones that I only really could find were some Sony releases, I believe, like... Um, Hidden Figures, that one's not on 4K Blu-ray anymore. You can't get that. Three Billboards out of e- outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which I only saw once in theaters and really liked it. So maybe I'll get some out of print stuff. I also have the Columbia Classics Volume One, which is out of print, and I was thinking about reviewing that in January. Like you said, January is going to be a very slow month. Actually, coming up this week, I'm going to have reviews. Like kind of just doing some cleanup reviews for movies I haven't reviewed here on the channel. I'm going to have a 4K re- Blu-ray review for both John Wick and Barbie. And then this upcoming Saturday is going to be my top 10 4K Blu-rays of 2023. Now that I got the Warriors in and I've pretty much picked up everything that I've wanted to review this year... I'm going to make my top 10 list of that. Now, top 10 movies of 2023, that'll probably be, you know, sometime the week after, mainly because I still have some movies I have to catch up with. At the time of this viewing, I had already seen The Iron Claw, and I just watched Maestro last night, which I actually thought was fantastic. Uh, not my favorite film of 2023, but both Bradley Cooper and. Carrie Mulligan, both deserve Oscar nominations. Carrie Mulligan actually might be the best acting performance this year from an actress's standpoint, so if she's going to be in Best Actress, she probably deserves to win. Uh, Bradley Cooper, again, it's a shame this movie came out the same year as Oppenheimer because it could win a lot of below-the-line awards, and Bradley Cooper could easily win Best Actor, but he's going to be going up against Killian Murphy, and I just cannot see him beating Killian Murphy, despite an amazing job as Leonard Bernstein. I mean, he falls into the role half the time I don't even realize that's Bradley Cooper like everyone was knocking the nose in this movie but the makeup in it is fantastic they did a great job with the filmmaking in this you know they actually every era of like it's a sprawling epic I just felt like the movie itself because of that at two hours and nine. this is the kind of movie that should have been three and a half hours because we just don't spend enough time in each scene in my opinion you know it just feels like Yes, we got to move this along. We're going to be telling this whole guy's life story in two hours and nine minutes. I just felt like it was too short. I felt like certain scenes just kind of ended abruptly or we just didn't spend enough time at certain moments. And I really, I just felt like it didn't have the emotional impact until the very end. I actually do think that it actually struck a chord with me in the third act of this movie. And I, again, a lot of that is from the acting and let, from uh, Bradley Cooper And Carey Mulligan. They really carry this movie. And it could be nominated for a ton of Academy Awards. Including Best Picture. I wouldn't be disappointed with it. I don't know if this is going to make my top 10 of 2023. But it is definitely worth your time. It's on Netflix right now. And I enjoyed watching it. I, I just don't know if I love it yet. I gotta let that one simmer a little bit more. I did love the acting, though. That really is the standout thing, is the acting. And another movie with great production design that is very, very well directed. I just always have felt like, like right now, Bradley Cooper's two films, This and A Star Is Born, I feel like it, oh, they both feel like something's missing. They're shot very similar in the way he edits his films together. I, I, I It doesn't necessarily 100% work for me. I've enjoyed both of those movies, But I also don't feel like I need to run back to those movies, if that makes sense. So, my show is still a pretty damn good movie. It's still definitely worth your time. It's definitely like a solid 8 out of 10 film. Uh, You know, that might grow as time goes on. I just watched this last night. So, you know, I haven't let it simmer enough necessarily. But for me, it's still a good movie. I could definitely recommend it. But as far as out-of-print movies go, uh, yes, I might grab some of those. I'm definitely going to be doing some more, especially for January. I'm going to do some more recommendation videos, like some top 10 lists going to review some stuff that I've never gotten a chance to review here on the channel, like Philadelphia on 4K Blu-ray. You know, some of my favorite 4Ks that I never got a chance to review. I'll see if they hold up here on the channel. That's the cool thing about January. You know, we get to kind of play catch-up a lot, like, do some certain do certain stuff that we don't really get to do normally here on the channel. I, actually, Mr. Smelly Potato was the one who told me about this, and he's like, oh, you should do this type of video, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a comparison between The Fast and the Furious and Point Break and compare how The Fast and the Furious completely ripped off Point Break and I'll show you guys how we'll do that video here on the channel next month as well So January even though there might not be that many 4ks we are getting blood simple train spotting Lone Star Conan Chronicles, you know Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer are gonna be coming to 4k courtesy of Arrow video So we'll still have plenty to talk about in January But, you know, there'll just be a little bit more of stuff for us that we didn't really get to talk about. Because December was a really, really, really busy month. I mean, I had to play catch-up on 4Ks and on films that are in theaters. So, I was watching a lot of movies this month and a lot of running around going on. So, yeah, believe me, December is probably one of my favorite months of the year. Actually, it is my favorite month of the year. But as far as a film fan and a film critic, it's tough. You're watching so, so, so many movies and you're trying to review as many as you can, review all the 4Ks, and I don't like to half-ass my 4K reviews. I just... I won't do it. You know, if I have to delay it a day because I want to make sure that I get as much information as I possibly can, like, I have to watch the movie. I know some reviewers don't watch the entire film because they maybe they just... So I have to watch it and see if there's any glitches in it. So I, I just can't do that route, but... So I have to still pour my heart into these 4K reviews just because I don't want to give you guys a half-assed review. I I won't. I just won't do that. So so you don't have to worry about that from me here on the channel. Like, actually, The Prophecy, that's a three-film 4K collection that just came out from Vinegar Syndrome. I got that last Monday. The review will be out sometime this week. But, you know, that's a lot of discs in there. And I got to run them all. I got to watch The Prophecy 1, 2, and 3 because I never saw them before. And really, you know learned about the films themselves and learned about those four Ks, which by the way, spoiler alert, I'm about halfway through that. Great four K Blu-rays and incredible packaging from Vinegar Syndrome. But we'll talk more about that in this upcoming week as well. And the next Frank Rodriguez question is John, with twenty twenty three coming to an end, did you accomplish your goals for the channel? And what are your t- YouTube goals for 2024. Um, I pretty much did. I don't know if you guys can go back to what I said last December with the goals last year. Our goal was just to hit a thousand subscribers. We nailed that by October of 2022, and this year I just really wanted to double that, and you know maybe get a little bit more. I really had a goal, like a huge goal of mine, of like 5,000 subscribers. You know that might have been you know a little bit too ambitious of me. You know, uh, physical media is still a very niche audience, but. I've also thought about like I can make other videos you know and other subjects like maybe sports does better but I just truly love movies and I love physical media and even if this channel never becomes as big as like I imagine it can become I still only want to do this because I like talking about physical media and it really, I'm telling you guys, I didn't know how many people cared about physical media or cared about movies as much as I do because just where I live, I'm just, in my regular life, my day-to-day life, I don't have people who are into movies as much as me. Like my entire family, it's not their thing. Like it just, for some reason it caught on with me. Like my mom's a big movie fan, but even she doesn't go to the level as me. Physical media, that's another one that I guess just because of my age, you know, growing up in the 90s and going to block blockbuster or any video store and buying vhs's and then collecting dvds at a young age i just wanted to have them maybe it's the collector's mentality i always liked physical media i always just liked holding it in my hand and i just really it's just so awesome that there are other people out there like that i just didn't know like you guys remember matt matt was the only person that he that connected with me on that kind of level but Matt also has a lot of other different interests for me so we, we overlapped on movies and video games and physical media collecting but you know he's into other stuff and then I also have my other hobbies you know Matt doesn't like any sports I'm a big sports fan I'm, obviously I wear a jet sweater in a lot of uh, videos really just to remind myself what the Jets have done to my life and how they've uh, attempted to ruin it <laughs> like it, it, the Jets I, I I, they, they've they ruined excitement. Like, I, people get excited for this season, and I've become such a pessimist because of what the Jets have done. I was like, nope, it's going to be a bad year. Something will happen. And what do you know? Aaron Rodgers... You know, he tears his Achilles on the third play of the year. I I just, like, I can't be surprised anymore. That's what it's like being a Jet fan. I do, that was always the one thing. You know, me and Matt kind of separated like that. But I just love making videos for this channel. It it really is my passion. It's something I just absolutely love. I want to do it for the rest of my life. Just do movie reviews, physical media reviews. I mean, it really, it, it sparks something in me that I just absolutely love. And the fact that you guys, like you, Frank Rodriguez, and all the people who support us out there, it really means the world to me, and I, I try and express my gratitude as much as I can, and I hope I do, because it really does mean so much to me. Like, even with the digital code giveaway that we do on Friday, I just love that we get to talk movies in the comment section. That's why I do that every week. It's not necessarily, yeah, it's cool to bring in subscribers, and, you know, I like giving stuff away to people. That's one thing I also really like to do, but I just like that we get to talk movies together. That's really fun to me. I just never really got that growing up too much. There just really weren't that many movie fans who lived in my local area. You know, I get that. It's not for everybody and physical media that's another thing that just i I still even despite having a physical media channel the amount of people i have to explain to about 4k blu-rays and the difference between dvds and blu-rays is pretty astonishing but that just goes to show you that this is just a very niche audience and that's fine because you know what i've heard so many complaints from so many other people about other youtube channels that you know it's a toxic environment and everyone's just always fighting and you know what I've never really had that issue here on the channel. A few comments here and there, but it is very, very, very rare. For the most part, everyone who comments on my videos are some of the nicest, most amazing people that I've met, and it really restored my faith in humanity. And just that I know that there are... Most people are good people, and I really... Thank you guys all so much. But uh, yes, to answer your question, I, I think we succeeded in our goals. Actually, I think we more than exceeded in our goals. I wanted this channel to at least become somewhat profitable. And at this point, thanks to having the channel memberships and you, Frank Rodriguez, Kevin Krueger, John Juggalo, Jason Martin, James Co, like all you guys supporting the channel, that really does help because you guys, you know, helping to fund the channel allows me to buy more 4K Blu-rays so I can review them here on the channel. So that really does help. So Yeah, I really do think that the channel, uh, at least in the last few months, has really started to hit its stride. We've gotten a lot more subscribers. Uh, We definitely have found more fans, more people who are watching the videos every single day. You know, I'm also learning. I'm learning to change and, like, you know, kind of lean more into what works on the channel. Like, they say that that's the best way to grow your channel is, like, drop what doesn't work and, add things that you notice are working more so I'm trying to become more aware of that stuff but there's also videos that I just kind of like to make for myself that I know that you know it's going to reach a small audience but if I can recommend a movie to one person and they love that movie they always say that's the one thing that a film critic wants to do is always recommend something to somebody and for them to love it and that's all I really ask for so whenever I recommend a movie to somebody and they come back and say ah thanks for your recommendation I love that movie for me That's the icing on the cake, and I got a lot of that this year. So, yeah, we definitely hit our goals, and our goals for 2024 – um, what do we have, like almost 2,800 subscribers, I would like 5,000 subscribers this year, I think that's the only goal I have for 2024, if we exceed that, I'll be more than happy, you know, set the goal at a reasonable thing, something that we can believe can actually happen so I think 5,000 subscribers is definitely the goal for 2024 and just to keep growing the channel, you know make maybe a little bit, I'm trying to get better I get better at editing as I go, I think if you guys noticed from the very beginning how terrible the videos were, <laughs> that they've definitely improved so much, and that's because like I was Saying earlier you know I kind of learned as I go I, I never edited anything before we started this YouTube channel so I taught myself how to edit I think the videos turned out pretty good at this point there's a lot of help from people like the impressive Tony he was a big help to the channel as far as getting the look of the channel going And I really have to thank him so much as well. Everybody who's helped this channel, you know, really there's so many, so many people who have also, you know, started their own channel, like Stuart George's Home Movies and the original Fuzz, you know, they were fans of this channel first, and then they started their own channels and both of their channels are fantastic as well um you know sully streams is another great small channel if you guys aren't subscribed there if i missed anyone who has channels that follow this channel i'm sorry i'm just going off the top of my head but you know it really is cool that we have this community going and you know thank you and i think we did hit our goals for 2023 and i think 2024 is going to be an even bigger year so that's a great question frank thank you so much buddy we'll answer the other two next week And we'll do one more Kevin Krueger question for this week. And he asks, what are your favorite movies about addiction? So this will be a little bit of a downer, I guess. But addiction movies have some of the best ones out there. And my favorite one is Basketball Diaries from, I believe, 1995 starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Mark Wahlberg in his first movie. I've always just resonated with this movie. I also always put this on, like my most underrated films of all time list. I don't know why this movie doesn't get as much love as it deserves. I think because it really feels like it's a 1990s film. You know, the way the cinematography is, the way the score is, the outfits. It just feels like a mid-90s film, and I feel like people kind of just wrote it off as a generic drug movie, and it really is more than that. First of all, it's a true story. It's got some crazy emotional moments, and if you've ever seen any more drug addiction, they actually nailed some of the stuff in this movie, and I think The Basketball Diaries is the best movie when it comes to drug addiction. Another the really good one is from 1990, uh, not 90, from 1988, starring Michael Keaton, called *Clean and Sober*. Came out the year before Batman, and you know, a lot of people say this is Michael Keaton trying to get like uh, more serious roles, you know, reaching for the Academy Awards. But if you go back and watch that movie, it's a great movie. Really nails addiction very well. Does it have those overly dramatic moments that you know kind of feel a little bit schmaltzy? Sure, but you know who likes those moments? this guy, so I have no problem with that movie, Uh, a few years ago, Timothy Chalamet and Steve starred started a movie called Beautiful Boy, which I really loved, another one, I felt like that actually took a realistic approach to addiction, if you've ever seen anyone with addiction, you know, I think they actually kind of nailed it, and how the effect it has on the rest of the family, so I thought Beautiful Boy was another one that was great, Um, the most famous one is probably Requiem for a Dream, Uh, that one is just brutal and tough to watch, maybe I'll review that 4K in January as well, because it is a good 4K, but That movie is just very, very, very hard to revisit. I mean, Jared Leto, Marlon Wayans, it's a rough, rough movie Uh, towards the end. I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but it gets dark. It gets really, really dark, and I really do think that they nailed that aspect of it because it's such a tough watch, and the way it's edited together, you 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 have anxiety the entire time you're watching Requiem for a Dream. It's not a fun watch, but you sure do appreciate that movie because it is just so, so well made. So that was another great question, Kevin. Thank you so much. And we still have one question that we have to answer on next week's show, and the two Frank Rodriguez questions we'll answer on next week's show as well. But if you guys want to leave some questions for next week's show in the comment section below, you can do that as well. Or you can wait till the Wednesday community post where I'll ask you guys to leave some questions for next week's Let's Talk Physical Media. And if you guys want to, compi- and if you guys want to continue to support the channel financially, you can do that. Look for the link in the description below and become a channel member like our two producers, John Doe Duggalo and Jason Barton, or a channel director. Through like Kevin Kruger and Frank Rodriguez, I want to thank you guys all so much. I want to thank everybody who helps to support this channel. The best way to do that is just like, subscribe, you know, share the video, turn notifications on. I wasn't aware that that really does help this channel as well. Turn notifications on so that YouTube keeps pushing it on the algorithm. And then after you're done doing all that, guys, you know, if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas, whatever holidays you guys celebrate this time of the year, happy holidays. I hope you guys enjoy it. You know, eat as much food as you can, watch so many movies, do whatever makes you guys happy this time of the year. And then after you're done doing all of that, We will be seeing you around.